Welcome to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. We hope and pray this message challenges and inspires you to live out God's truth in your life. Well, good morning. Good to see you guys. I haven't seen some of you since Christmas. Glad to have you back. Yeah. But we really are glad that you came here. Yeah. It's still here. And uh, you can come back anytime. We do this every Sunday. Really. I'm not making that up. Uh, where you can, you can catch us online too. Folks are watching online now at uh, live.sugarhill.church and also on Facebook. So I'm just so grateful. I agree with Bobby. Thank you. This is a uh, Sugar Hill Church is an interesting kind of place. I mean, it really is. You, uh, you can kind of come any way you want and you can just enjoy it because we really do believe everything starts and ends on a relationship. Uh, we're supposed to know each other. We're supposed to, we're supposed to have family. And I think we experience that here. And I'm just so grateful. Uh, to have the opportunity to be a part of this kind of church. My name is Chuck Allen, and uh, I'm the pastor here, and this is our fourth service today. Uh, There's a Spanish-speaking service taking place over in the chapel right now, and we started at a 7 a.m. service outdoor. We had several hundred folks over in the Sugar Hill Bowl, then a service at 8, and a service at 9.30. So we're just not getting warmed up. By now, I should have this thing figured out. So you're in good shape. Yeah. So have you ever ever noticed that when you buy something like a, let's say you buy a new Chevy Silverado truck, right? The Arctic ice color with the tan leather inside. And then all of a sudden you notice that everybody else drives one. You ever notice that? Have, have, ladies, you ever bought an outfit and you went to a dinner party and two other people had the same outfit on? It's like you all went to TJ Maxx at the same day. Yeah, right? Or, or guys, you, you go to play golf and you got the same club that the dude you bought it from said this is the, the only one made like this. And that, that's part of your foursome when you showed up. Seen that? Yeah, it happens all the time. Our, our daughters went down to the Dogwood Festival last year. And uh, at about, um, I don't know, about 5.30, 6 o'clock, I got a call. And uh, Abby said... Uh, our, our car got booted. And she's just like, how could that happen? I'm in a parking place. I'm not out in the middle of the road. How could this possibly happen? I said, where are you parked at? She said, at Caribou Coffee. Well, how many other cars are parked there? Not many. Really? Yeah. So we'll hop in, drive downtown, you know, get there. And sure enough, the big boots on the wheel. And then I, I looked up and there's a sign. I don't know, maybe about that wide, maybe about that high. That said, do not park here or you will be booted. So I got there and I took my phone and I snapped a picture of that. In between services, Jenny sent me a picture of that pic. And it reminded me, she went to see the Dogwood Festival. There was no time to read the sign. You remember that show Wipeout that was on a few years where people had to go through all the thing? My favorite one is this lady that she's made it to the finals and she's got to get to the end where you jump, you know, over and catch the wheel. But to do that, you have to grab hold of like a flagpole. It's like this big. And she gets to that point and she's winning and she's screaming, where's the pole? It is seven inches from her face. Where's the pole? While she's standing there going, where's the pole? Everybody passed her, went by her, and she was disqualified. You know what? She was looking to the end. She couldn't see what was right in front of her face. You ever done that? Like, I get in the car at times, and my brain just checks out. And it'll turn right when I know I'm supposed to go left. And I'm just gone. 
And this is one of the reasons Jenny and I get along so well. She kind of takes on the role of the Holy Spirit with me when I'm driving and uh, gently and graciously reminds me that I'm supposed to turn left. I think sometimes she doesn't sound like the Holy Spirit, though. Sometimes it sounds more like, what are you doing? <laughs> and my response is, I'm working on it, Lord, because I am an obedient husband, aren't I, baby? Okay, no, uh, move on. I, this, today's story in, inside Scripture is like these people and the sign at Caribou Coffee. It's like the guy who bought the truck and everybody's around it. It's like the lady who's got the same outfit. It's, it's like me turning right and I'm supposed to turn left. We tend to look at what, we tend to find what we're looking for. I mean, if you're looking for something good, you'll probably find it. And if you're looking for something wrong, you're gonna find it. Now, I'd be willing to say in a crowd like this that there are a lot of folks that just say, you know what, I don't, want, I don't wanna go to church. I'm not gonna go to church. I'm not gonna do, to church doesn't mean a thing to me. And, and so they're like, I'm not going. And the number one reason I hear is when I'll say, well, why would you not want to go to church? I usually have people that'll say, hypocrites. Now, just try this on for a minute. Just look around at the people around you. Just go ahead. I know some of y'all are too cool, but just do it. Just move your head around, look around. You know what you see? Weirdos. They're everywhere. <laughs> you know what else you see? Hypocrites. Look at y'all. Liars, cheaters, thieves. Good grief. And I'm only talking about the front row. <laughs> And those people out there that didn't come to church, but you're watching online. <laughs> but that, isn't that true? I mean, seriously, if you could find the perfect church, you go join it and screw it up. Because it just doesn't exist, does it? I mean, we just don't see what's out there often because it's not what we're looking for. So in Luke chapter 24, there's a story told by the gospel writer Luke of these two people. Now, let me put it in context. So... In Jerusalem is the Passover, and now Jesus has died, and he's been buried. And these two people have left Jerusalem to head to their home in a little hamlet called Emmaus. It's a seven-mile walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus. So let's just say you can do that in two and a half hours. How many of y'all can do that in two and a half hours? Come on. How many of you just lied? Okay, very good. Thank you. I, I, when I saw your hand go up, I thought, consummate liar, right? Jumped right in there, right there. That's why I'm saying front row, hypocrites. Got it, right? It's all because of Blake. Easter, the story is really told here. In Luke chapter 24, in verse 13, the text says that same day, same day of what? Jesus arising from the dead. Two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them, but God kept them from recognizing him. So Jesus, like you know you do after you raise from the dead, you go for a walk. And so he's out and he's walking the seven miles with these two folks. Now we're gonna learn in a minute that the, the names of these folks, we only know the name of one, Cleopas, and the other one we're not sure. We're just we, We'll just take for granted that's Mrs. Cleopas. And so they're, they're leaving Jerusalem because what they thought was happening is over. They had trusted their life to Jesus Christ. They had trusted that Jesus of Nazareth had come and he was the Messiah, but now he's dead. And because he's dead, all hope has been shattered and they're leaving town because if they don't leave town, they're fearful that they're gonna wind up and get all the people that have come together to follow Christ. 
And so they're thinking, if we don't get out of here, we're going to die too. So they start the seven-mile hike from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And Jesus comes along in verse 17. He says, he asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there the last few days. And Jesus said, what things? Come on, if that's not a sense of humor, I don't know where you'd find one. Everything that has happened he's talking about is to him, and they're saying, well, surely you have no clue. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, when the Braves were good, we were all there when they won the World Series. Yesterday, we were all there because we opened up the ballpark. But guess what? There were only about 50,000 people there that actually saw it, but all the rest was there. You know why? We love a winner. America loves a winner, don't you? I mean, when the Falcons came back this past year, we all put on our red and black. You know, rise up. The year before that, let's don't rise. <laughs> we love a winner, don't we? I mean, seriously. And so they're walking along, and Jesus is walking with them. And you know inside he's chuckling just a little bit. It's like they think they've got it bad. I mean, do they know what I've gone through? I mean, the last 36 hours, do they have any clue what's going on in my life? I mean, I was cold and dead in a barred tomb. I had to get up from the, being dead and push the rock away. And they're just griping about what might happen to them. I, he's got to be laughing at this. So the text goes on and says, the things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, that's what we're talking about. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago, and they're scratching their head like, dude, have you been in a grave or something? Well, now that you mention it. Then some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing, and he had seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. Guys, lesson number one, when they tell you that Jesus has risen, just go ahead and say yes. Because if you don't, they are going to say, I told you. And so just go with it. This is one of the great lessons in this text. The women had gone, they'd seen, they knew who was late to the party, the dudes. And so they get there and they're, they're going through this story with Jesus, but they don't know it's Jesus. And then he said to them, beginning in verse 25, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all the prophets wrote in scripture. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So Jesus, while they're in their stupor, while they're in their sadness, Jesus says, okay, I'm going to help you understand the scriptures. And he goes back and he starts in the creation story. There was God created the heavens and the earth. Now, let me just stop there. Don't get hung up on this. If you're one of those people who believes that 130 million years later, some type of big bang happened, okay, whatever. If you believe that, that God created the heavens and the earth in six literal days, okay, that's good. But the big picture here is this one statement. God created the heavens and the earth. Do I know exactly how that happened? I really don't. But I do know that I trust scripture when it says God created the heavens and the earth. Shortly thereafter, he made man. He, the, the Lord said, it's, it's not good for man to be alone. So he made woman. 
And so here are the two people that never had belly buttons in their life, and they are just unbelievably special. They get to run around naked in the fields. How cool could that be? <laughs> just for the record, let me try to get that out of your head for just a minute. Because that could just be a pretty ugly story if you think about it. But think about this. Do you believe God created an ugly baby? No, 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 no. Now, I've seen some ugly babies. I, I love it when people say, you know, everybody's beautiful. Not every bride is beautiful. I, I promise you, I've had a few that I've done the sermon for. When they walk down the aisle, I have to stop and think, hmm. I don't know what he was thinking on that one. Okay, that has nothing to do with the sermon. But in any way, <laughs> they're walking and they're just, they're, they, they just don't get it, right? And he's telling them about creation, creating man, creating Eve. He tells them there's only one rule. They blew it. They, they messed up. They brought sin into the world. He's talking to them about all the things that Moses wrote about. We know about what's happening in Genesis and Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, Deuteronomy. We know what's going on there. And he talks about all of the prophets and he talks about all of the kings. And he goes through and he tells them the story about King David. He killed a bear and he killed a lion and he killed Goliath. And this guy was awesome except for the fact that he was a cheater and a murderer, but he wound up being a man after God's own heart. He tells the story about Joseph and how his brothers left him in a pit to be sold as human traffic. And yet he came out of the pit and was redeemed to become the second highest man in the land. He tells them the story about Noah and the ark and how God was exasperated with his creation because we didn't trust him. And he flooded the world and, and Noah built an ark and they put a mess of animals in there. And 40 days and 40 nights later, he got out of there. And don't you know he was glad to get on solid ground? He tells all those stories. He tells the story of Nehemiah and the wall. He tells the story of Gideon with 300 men defeating 135,000. He tells the story of friendship with David and Jonathan. He tells the story of, of the judges, how they'd come and gone. He tells the story of Salmon and, or Sa he, Samson and all of his strength. And he's beginning to tell all these Old Testament stories, all of these stories that these folks knew because they had lived in that first century Judaism and they knew all those stories. And Jesus is unpacking them in such a way that it's just blowing their mind. And then looks what scripture says. Verse 28, by this time they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey. And Jesus acted as if he were going on, but they begged him, stay the night with us since it is getting late. So he went home with them. And as they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. And then he broke it and then he gave it to them. Suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. Now that's an odd statement because Jesus, who has risen from the dead, has now gone on a seven mile walk with people that we only know one name of. And in that seven miles, he is unpacking all of the Old Testament and now he is starting to unpack the New Testament that is literally happening in front of them. The way we would describe the New Testament to them that day would be like this. I know that Abraham Lincoln was once the president of the United States because history records that. But I know during my lifetime that Ronald Reagan was president. I know that Donald Trump today is president. I know last year Barack Obama was president. I know those things because I lived in them. And that's the difference in the story that Jesus is talking to them about from all the Old Testament stories. Now he's shifting gears and he's getting to a New Testament story. But watch this. The New Testament story is found in the bread. The New Testament story is found in the bread. They don't know it's Jesus yet. But while they're at the table, Jesus takes that loaf of bread. 
he takes it from the table to hold it in his hands. And while he's holding the bread, he's offering a blessing for the bread. Father, thank you for this gift of this bread. And when he's done praying over it, when he's done blessing it, he breaks that bread, and then it goes from taking to blessing to breaking and now to sharing. And when he takes that, the ceremonial way in which you would do that in a Jewish household is you would serve the bread with your palms up like this. And when he does, what do they see? They see the nail prints in his hand and the lights come on and the eyes are opened and the soul is, is wonderfully charged. And it's like, we know you. And then he's gone. Now watch this though. The scriptures go on to say, that at that point, the minute they knew that, they finished eating, hung around about an hour, and went seven miles back to Jerusalem. And here's what happened. In verse 32, they said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. They were there they found the 11 disciples. Remember Judas, he's out of the picture now. 11 disciples and the others who had gathered with them who said, the Lord has really risen. He appeared to Peter. Now, now watch this. All of them are behind a locked door. All of them are fearful. Cleopas and his partner have headed out of town. They're hiding out for fear that the same thing that happened to Jesus is going to happen to them because they followed him. And the answer is he's really risen. We just, we had a chat with him. I'll guarantee you they did not sit down with the 11 and say, okay, this is going to blow your mind. We walked for seven miles with Jesus, and we thought his name was Bob. <laughs> really, do you think, I mean, I guarantee you when they got back and they got with the 11, they were like, we have just spent seven hours with Jesus. We're like this. We are BFFs. I guarantee they didn't come back. To, we didn't, I didn't know for seven hours, seven miles. I didn't know for two or half, three hours. And then look what happened. Then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they had recognized him as he was breaking the bread. Did you notice when they recognized him? When he was breaking the bread. And just as they were telling it, Jesus himself was suddenly stranded there or standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. Now watch this. Jesus comes along for a seven-mile walk. When he takes the bread, blesses the bread, breaks the bread, shares the bread, eyes have been opened. And they realize, wait a minute, this is my Savior, this is my King, this is my Lord. He did exactly like he said he was going to do. He would be tortured and be put to death. He would be buried in a borrowed tomb. And three days later, he would definitely arise, push the rock away, and he walked with us. And then we came back to tell you. You see, this is how Jesus works in our life, too. He takes us. He doesn't wait for us to get our junk together. He doesn't wait for us to go to church every Sunday. He doesn't wait for us to make sure we stop cussing and we stop doing whatever we do. And he doesn't wait. He doesn't wait until you, your addiction is cleared up. He, he takes all of you just the way you are. I'm so grateful he took me just the way I am. And when he takes us and we choose to follow him, he blesses us. Here's where a lot of folks get lost in the power and the beauty of living the Christian life. Before he can use us for his glory, we must be broken. 
You say, well, Chuck, I, I don't want to be broken. A.W. Tozer said, no man will ever make a difference on this planet apart from his spirit being broken so he can understand how broken our world is. You know, when, when you're in that season of life where you feel like you've been abandoned, where you're all alone, Jesus probably has you exactly where you need to be so that you can come out victoriously. Jesus, I believe, let the conversation move toward uh, most of you weren't there at the cross with me. John and my mom were there. And that's all. And he said, but I, I want to remind you why I went to the cross. I want to remind you while I wrote, why I rose from the dead. I want you to understand that none of this was in vain. And he reminds them, and, he, and he's talking with them, and he says, remember the first thing I said when they put that cross upright and my body sagged under the weight of my own body and, and the, those marks in my hands and feet, they just, they, they, they literally were taking the life out of me as his blood streamed down that old rugged cross. And, and, and what was the first thing Jesus said? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The very first thing is forgive them. I, now, let, let's just be honest here. The people who put him on that cross, the people who raised that cross, the people who took him to trial, the people that beat him with those whips, the people that pressed that crown of thorns upon his head, he is now on a cross, nailed to a cross, an instrument of death, looking at those people, and the very first thing he offers is, forgive this. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Here's the great news, look right here. Jesus is still saying to me and you, Father, forgive them, even they know exactly what they're doing. He's looking at you and I, and he's saying, Father, forgive them. They know exactly what they're doing. When they break your heart, when they, when they go astray, they know exactly what you're doing. Father, forgive them. You know what the second word he utters? is salvation. This is good for me and you. It's a bit of a church word, but when we seek forgiveness from Jesus, the gift we get back is salvation. I think it's fascinating that the scripture says, truly I tell you today that you'll be with me in paradise. There's Jesus on the cross. There's a thief, condemned thief over here, a, a condemned criminal over here. And one of them says, Lord, remember me when you come into your paradise. And Jesus looks at him and said, today you're going to be with me there. That guy didn't have a chance to go to church. That guy didn't have a chance to come down the aisle. That guy didn't come to an altar. He didn't go on a mission trip. He didn't give any money to the church. What we do know he did was this, Lord, I'm calling on your name. Lord, will you take me? Some of us need to really believe that Jesus came to forgive you. And you say, but Chuck, I, he doesn't know all I've done. Yeah, he does. He knows all that you've done and all you fought. And yet he still wildly adores you to the point that he would offer forgiveness and salvation. And he does that through the third word, relationship. This is the greatest thing about this whole story, that the scripture is clear that the people that wanted him gone most were the most religious people in town. Could I just say to you, I would, egg, I, I would encourage you, I would plead with you, I would beg you, wherever and whenever somebody is trying to layer religion on your life with rules and processes and how you have to know Jesus, run, forest, run. Because there's never been a religion that has changed the world. There has only been a relationship in Christ and Christ alone that can make the, the, the different world. We want America to be great again. We need Jesus.
If we want a great church, we need to let Jesus reign. You want a great school, let Jesus reign. You want a great family, let Jesus reign. You want your life to get back in order, let Jesus reign. How? Through his forgiveness, through his salvation, through his relationship. But that came at a price for him, and he called it abandonment. What did he say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we miss this a lot of times. We teach the story as if God is heartbroken and horrified as he turns while Jesus takes on all the sin and all the selfishness of the world. But I happen to believe that God the Father looked at the Son and he turned because he had to, because he's sinless and perfect. But I believe that was never a time he was more proud of his boy. When he was able to look and say, my son has taken on every sin and every selfish way that there is in the world. But at that moment, Jesus gave us forgiveness and salvation and relationships because he was willing to feel the sense of loss and abandonment. When you feel like the world has turned away from you and you feel like your family's turned away from you, you feel like your kid has gone off the rails and they're abandoned you, know that Jesus knows what that feels more so than we ever will. And he still says, through my forgiveness, through my salvation, through my relationships, you don't have to be abandoned. I was abandoned for you. And then he comes along and he was in distress. What did he say? I thirst. They took a bitter, bitter wine, almost like pure vinegar, and they put it in hyssop, which would have been even bit more bitter. They stuck it on the spear and they put it up in mock for him to have some of that, which he didn't take. But at that moment, you can feel the humanity and the distress that the Lord Jesus must have had. The God side of Jesus saying, I can do this. I know what's coming. And yet the human side feeling this overwhelming distress. We find what we're looking for. There was a world-renowned uh, violinist who's still alive. His name is Josh Bell. He plays a $4 million violin. Built in, in, back, back in 1773. Josh Bell, people pay hundreds of dollars to go see him play in a concert. So they took this social experiment a few years ago, and they put a ball cap, jeans, dirty t-shirt on him, took that violin, and opened the violin for people to throw tips in. They put a few bucks in there to prime the pump, and he started playing in a metro DC station. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people walked by him. Nobody ever stopped. Nobody noticed. Nobody cared. He was just playing away. One of the most technical pieces that you could ever play, I understand. And he was playing his guts out, world-renowned, back and forth. You know why? They weren't looking for that. Wherever they were at, they were looking for something other than Josh Bell. So they thought they'd change it up. And a few weeks later, they started handing out flyers in that same in that same metro station. And while they were doing that, they put up a small stage and they put up some small lights and they put up a sound system and they started letting everybody know. And the day he was going to play, the entire place was packed out. You know why? They were looking for him. I guess what I'd ask you is, what are you looking for? Are you looking for somebody that offers forgiveness and salvation and relationships that matter so that you don't have to feel abandoned or distressed? Then listen to these last two when Jesus said, it is finished, and the triumph that came with it, the winner that came with it. We all love a winner, don't we? I mean, seriously, don't we all love a winner? When the Braves were having that long stretch, you know what? We all wore that stuff. Last year, you couldn't sell it. But now we got a new ballpark. 100 losses on the, but we got a new ballpark. And you know what's interesting? We do the same thing with everything. Last year, we were all Falcons fans. The year before that, we were fans. We love it when a winner comes along. It's kind of like Rocky Balboa, down for the count. The big Russian standing over him. The referee pounding on the mat. Two, three, 
four, five, six, seven. The world thinks it's over. The great American has been killed. The bad guy standing over him. They're cheering now. Eight, nine, and then he gets up. His eyes all puffy and saying, Mick, you got to cut me, you know? Sweat everywhere, blood everywhere, you know, and he looks at this guy's three feet taller than him, and just all of a sudden, out of that weariness, bam! New winner. Can you imagine what Satan thought at this moment? Jesus saying, no, 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 when I said it is finished, I didn't mean it is finished like they think it's finished. It is finished because I know I'm finished. I'm finished with this part of my job, but I'm not done. Because you see, I may be down today, but Sunday's coming. When Sunday comes, I'm going to get up. And they won't pound the mat then because they're going to look and see this risen king has come and he is indeed the Messiah. When he pushes that rock away and he steps out and the, over the next 40 days, hundreds and hundreds of people see him and he's going to sit by the Father in heaven to create a home for all those who believe in him. This is what we call triumph. This is stealing a win from the jaws of defeat. And in that final word, reunion. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. You know what's best about that word? That this is why we trust Jesus. So that he can commend our spirit into the hands of the Father. You know what Jesus said? That if you'll let the world know that you love me, if you'll stand for me, I'll let the Father know that you stand with him. You know what I would urge you to do today? Take a walk with Jesus. Just take a hike. Your life, your family's life, your work life, your health life, your mental state, there's no walk with anybody that's going to change the state of that challenge but Jesus. And the only rule that he said was this. If you'll love God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul, and learn to love others as you love yourself, every other law is trumped. Jesus came along and said, I don't want to make this hard for you. I don't want to make it difficult. I want you to be able to trust in the fact that I can forgive you, that I want a relationship with you, that I've already been abandoned so you don't have to be. I've been in distress so you don't have to be. I want you to know that you can come along and you can experience the triumph of life in abundance and life eternal, and you can have a reunion. You know what I can't wait to do when I get to heaven? I can't wait to put my feet on streets of gold because I just think that's going to be awesome. I can't wait to sit down with my granddad and him say, let's go fishing. I can't wait to sit down with a healthy dad again and say, let's pitch. You know what I can't wait to do? I can't wait to see my mom and say, mom, it'd be really cool if you could make that country fried steak. Oh, does that sound good right now or what? Like gravy on it and, you know, those, Miss, Mrs., those Schubert rolls when you open up the steam comes out and you put like that cinnamon butter. Anyway, that, could I just say to you, this Easter, don't walk away and believe the church is the answer. But I beg you to walk away to know that Jesus is the answer. He just wants to take a walk with you. Let's pray. Lord God, today, I pray we would take a walk with you, that we'd hear you and know you, follow you, trust you, obey you. Lord, I believe with uh, folks that are here watching online, folks in our overflow rooms, that Lord, I, I believe in all my heart that you, when you said, when you call on your name, you'd hear us and answer us. 
So, Lord, I pray there'd be people here today that they've never called on the name of the Lord, and they would simply say, Jesus, I need you. Come live inside of me. Clean me up. I want to turn my life around. I want to live for you. I believe there are folks here that would say today, that's, that's the desire of my heart. That's what I want. I, Lord, I want to trust you. With heads bowed with eyes closed, if that's you, just raise your hand. We won't embarrass you. We're not asking you to walk an aisle. Just let me know. Was that your desire of your heart today? Yeah, 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 yeah. Father, today we ask you to continue to do what you've always said you do, and that is when we call on your name, you would hear us and answer us. Lord Jesus, thank you. On this day, we praise a risen king. We, we thank a risen Lord, for our Christ didn't stay in that tomb long before he busted out. And Lord, we're grateful that you did all that for us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. For more information and to find out more about our church, please visit us at sugarhillchurch.com.